My name's Eric, and, and again, welcome you to this, uh, the first week of this series uh, that we're doing called Adventus, which is uh, really the Latin word uh, root for Advent. And um, Advent simply means waiting, or it means preparing, it means a time of uh, anticipation. And, and I'm just going to spend some time today talking about what that really, really means, because I think sometimes we, we lose the true significance, not only of, of Advent, but, but also of Christmas. And the way I want to start off is by just asking you guys to, to put a question in your head of really like, what difference does it make? What difference does Advent make? What difference does, does Christmas make? You know, besides getting some awesome gifts, right? But what difference does it make for our lives that this baby named Jesus was born, this Savior came into the world. And, and I was trying to think about uh, how I could frame this thing up. And I knew the kids were going to be with us, and I thought, what better way than to preach from Leviticus? <laughs> so turn to Leviticus. Because I don't think we can answer that question until we really understand a grander story that's being told in the world and being told in our lives. And so to, to, to get us in touch with uh, what difference does it make, I think we have to go back to the beginnings of our story as a people of faith. And, and part of that beginning is found in Leviticus chapter 26. It's uh, towards the beginning of the Bible. And I just want to read some words that, that are from God's heart to his people. And God says this, I will send you rain in its season. And the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your, your threshing will continue until grape harvest. And the grape harvest, man, I really want grapes now, uh, will continue until planting. And you will eat all the food you want. That's all right. Anybody down for all the food you want? Sounds like Thanksgiving or Christmas Day at my house. And you will live in safety in your land. God says, I will grant peace in the land. And you'll lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from your land. And the sword will not pass through your country. That's a great promise. And this promise is given to God's people as a tangible thing. They're wandering through the desert and God is trying to tell them, this is where I'm taking you. This is the promise that I have for you. It's a place where there's going to be work for everybody and food for everybody. And you're going to be uh, safe and secure. And the, and the word that is, is in this text that really encapsulates everything that God is promising his people is the word peace. And that's translated in Hebrew uh, from the word shalom. Everybody am I familiar with shalom, right? And uh, before we unpack this word, which we've done before, um, just kind of a little bit of a tidbit. When you see a town or a city with Salem in it, you know, even in North Carolina, my family used to live in Winston-Salem or Jerusalem, S-A-L-E-M. That is a derivative of the word shalom. So any town that has Salem in it, means something peace. And just, that's just if something as you're looking at roadmaps, as you do all the time, I'm sure. But you see, peace and shalom is much more than what we think about it. We think about peace as simply the absence of conflict. But that 
those two verses that I just read are much richer than just absence of conflict, provision. And so here's what shalom looks like in the Bible. It is peace. It is also this wholeness, this holistic health where you're not just okay with God, but you're okay with other people and you're okay with yourself. It is a whole feeling of goodness. It is also security. You'll lie down and will not have to fear at night. Does that sound like a promise worth pursuing? Anybody? Amen, brother. Kids in here every Sunday. Done. Anyway, um, it is, uh, it, is a, it, is a, it is a word that evokes provision. There will be enough for you. You don't have to be anxious. And because you don't have to be anxious, it's also a vision of contentment. I have enough. Shalom, from a biblical perspective, that's what the promise is. And that's what God says very early in the story. Look, uh, God's people, this is where I'm taking you. This is where I want you to go. And then God says, look, uh, furthermore, not only is this what I want to give you, but he also tells the people, and this is kind of where the problem, uh, the challenge arises. He says, you're going to be responsible for maintaining some of this yourselves. So if anybody ever heard of the Ten Commandments, okay, part of the Ten Commandments are God saying, this is the way you keep shalom. This is the way you maintain peace. You don't rob. You don't kill. You honor your mother and your father. Kids, you honor your mother and your father. Okay, thank you, thank you. There you go. So he tells his people, you have a role in this. You help to maintain and pursue and create shalom. And then he fulfills his promise. And then things start to go badly. And so if you know the story of God's people, they struggle to keep this vision alive. And God starts sending people called prophets to tell them about how they're doing. And uh, I want to kind of like show you one of, uh, one of my favorite people in the world. This is a guy named Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. He's a, a brilliant rabbi and a very, very influential writer for me. And he wrote a book on the prophets. The prophets make up an awful, awful lot of our Old Testament. And like I said, they come along and they tell God's people, kind of give them a report card of how you're doing on this shalom thing. And this is how uh, Rabbi Heschel described the prophet. He says, the prophet feels fiercely. Prophecy is the voice that God has lent to the silent agony. A voice to the plundered poor, to the profaned riches of the world. It's a form of living, a crossing point of God and man. I love this. God is raging in the prophet's words. And so as God's people, as they do, start getting shalom wrong, these guys, uh, maybe you've read their books in the Bible, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Micah, Obadiah, all these crazy ayah names, they show up and they start to say these wonderful, cheerful messages. Uh, something like Isaiah 1 where Isaiah writes this through, uh, God writes this through Isaiah. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. That's every parent, but God is particularly incensed about this. I've reared children. I've brought them up. I've created this nation. The ox knows its master, 
The donkey, its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. The prophets are watching the Shalom Project go off the rails, and they keep saying, look, God's not happy about this. Isaiah says this, woe to the sinful nation. Understand, this is Isaiah talking to his own people. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children to corruption. This is great stuff. I'd hate to preach this every single Sunday, yet this is what the prophets did. Jeremiah was another one. Let me just read you Jeremiah's take on some of this stuff in Jeremiah 2. He says, be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns and their broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So the prophets show up and they say, look, that promise of shalom and and your responsibility for creating and maintaining it, you've missed it. And things just start going worse and worse and worse and worse. And God says at one point, look, if you blow this shalom piece really badly, something really, really bad is gonna happen. And the promise that he gave them in Leviticus 26 becomes jeopardized because they missed the mark so bad. And in in 598 BC, it happens. And, And the land that God has promised them, the place where the people live, Jerusalem, which is the center of God's sort of revelation where the temple is, uh, these, these folks called the Babylonians show up at the gates of Jerusalem and they break the walls and they destroy the temple. They carry off all of the sacred items of the temple, including the ark where the Ten Commandments were, were taken. And basically, this is a fulfillment of everything the prophet said was going to happen. Look, if you get it wrong, there's something devastating that's going to happen. The guy that led the Babylonians was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. That is a beard worth, worthy of no shave November or... December, whatever, however it goes, December beard. I mean, it looks like there's jewels in that thing. It's crazy. That's King Nebuchadnezzar. He led the Babylonian army. And they destroyed Jerusalem. But then in the prophets, there's also some really, really other interesting writing. And, and I would simply kind of start it off by saying this way. Um, there's a great movie. We're, we're, most of us will probably watch it this season. It's got a kid and a BB gun. Um, Anybody remember what's the, what's the thing is his, his parents are always saying, you'll shoot your eye out. And does he heed the warnings? No. And I got to thinking about this when you start to like listen to the story of God's people and how many times people show up and say the biblical version of you'll shoot your eye out. And yet, you know, if I'm honest... I tend to ignore a lot of things that my parents told me when I, was, when I was this size. You know, when I was told by my parents, look, don't do this thing. Don't, don't ride your bike down the hill because your bike doesn't have any brakes on it. True story, my bike had no brakes on it. Maybe they didn't like me that much. But kids have a way of ignoring what you tell them. Do you not? Parents, can I get an amen? Amen. I've got a... You know, a, a couple years ago, uh, for a couple years, my son Levi was, was learning soccer. And one of the things we told Levi all the time, look, you can go out and you can kick your soccer ball against the house. That's fine. But don't kick it near a window. Don't kick it near a window because you're going to what? 
break the window. And for days upon days, we would hear the soccer ball thud against the wall, thud against the wall, thud against the wall. And then that, that nerve-wracking sound when you hear it, what? Hit the window. Now, he hasn't crashed a window, but he broke screens out and everything. And there's a piece of me that, like, as a parent, let's be honest, we lose that patience that we prayed for and asked about. And we go out and we're like, why did you tell us? Why did you do this thing that I told you not to do? And yet, if you're like me, you know, when I see that lower lip start to quiver and I see the eyes get all wet and there's something in my heart that breaks, maybe I'm just too much of a softy, but if you've ever been there, parents, where you've told your kids over and over again, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, and then they do it, and part of you is like, oh my gosh, they're killing me. And then there's another part that goes, when they get devastated, what do you want to do? You just want to take them in, take them in your arms and go, I know, I know this is hurts. I know this hurts, and I know you're upset, but it's okay. I, we still love you. And this is what happens in the prophets, because right along these devastating uh, statements of like, these awful things are going to happen. You also see statements like this in the prophets. In Jeremiah 33, that same guy mate, writes this. He says, this is what the Lord say. You say about this place, it's a desolate waste. Remember, this is the land. There's no people, no animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem that are devastated right now. Even though they're inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of what? Joy and gladness. The voices of the bride and the bridegroom, the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord saying, we give thanks to the Lord Almighty, the Lord is good. His love endures forever. At the moment where everything around has fallen and they've lost the promise of shalom forever, there are prophets who are writing, but there's another promise out there. There's something else coming. Isaiah, who also wrote those statements of woes, he says it this way in Isaiah 40. He says, comfort, comfort for my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In Isaiah 61, he says this, in the midst of the devastation, there's a promise for somebody and some moment when this will be spoken. The prophet says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because God has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness, from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve. So even when God's people blow the Shalom Project forever, God says, look, in the midst of that devastation, there's a promise. There's a promise. And the way I might put it is that God is essentially saying, look, as bad as it looks, one day, one day this devastation will be over. One day. As bad as it is, one day there's a promise of joy and gladness in Jerusalem, of, of, of freedom for prisoners, 
of sight for the blind. So what I want you to know is uh, when, um, when Babylon comes up and, and King Nebuchadnezzar breaks down the walls, not only do they burn and break down the temple, they actually take, they take people away. They take God's people from Israel, from their home in Judah to Babylon. They just take them away. They're away from the temple. Now what are you gonna do, God's people? Well, God's people start to improvise and they start to build these things called synagogues. Anybody ever heard of uh, the word synagogue? Maybe you've been to one or seen one. This is what an ancient synagogue looked like. There's an open area in the middle. Some, some, uh, they kind of did things in the round. Every synagogue faced Jerusalem as an acknowledge of where the temple was. And they did this every, every week. They had worship gatherings in the synagogue. And when they gathered, they did particular things. They came together and they sang. Does that sound familiar to anybody? They would, uh, they would recite prayers of gratitude. Does that sound familiar to anybody? They would pray together. And they would get readings from the Bible. They called it the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And everything was in scrolls. And so they would have a reading from the Torah. And then they would have an additional reading called the Haftarah. Imagine because it came after the Torah reading. But they were readings from other parts of the first, the first Testament. The prophets. They would read these things. And then there would be a sermon. So what you guys have to deal with, they had to deal with. So... You know, that's just the way things go. And this is the way God's people dwelled. From 598 BC, they had these gatherings. And they knew that there was a promise. One day this will all be over. One day we'll get to experience shalom again. One day this thing will all be set right. And that's just the way things stayed. Until. Until one day a man named Jesus comes in. And he goes to the synagogue in his hometown in Nazareth. He, had been, he goes to the synagogue often. He comes to the, he comes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And in Luke 4, verse 16, it says, uh, he stands up to read. And at that moment, they have these things called synagogue attender, attendance. And the synagogue attendant would bring him a scroll. And this was not the Torah scroll. This was, this was the Haftarah scroll. And in this particular Sunday, in this particular, or Saturday it probably was, it was the scroll of Isaiah. And so Jesus undo, undoes the scroll and he opens it up to the place where he's supposed, to, he's supposed to read. And he looks at the words and the words of Isaiah and he says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Luke does this great writing job where it says Jesus then rolls up the scroll. I don't know, he set it aside. And then the text just builds this tension because then it says he sat down and he preached like the, the quickest sermon ever. Because his sermon was simply this. He said, today, that scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. 
And then everybody got to go to lunch. <laughs> Not so for you. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The promise of shalom, the promise of Isaiah 61. One day, there's going to be recovery of sight for the blind and freedom for prisoners and good news for poor people. And Jesus says, hey, guess what? Today, today, the, the, the hunger that they had, that one day this will all be over. And Jesus says, guess what? That day is now. And then if you know Jesus' story, you know what he does? He goes out and starts doing it. He goes out and if you know his story at all, you know he spends time with poor people and he helps them. And he goes to people who can't see or who can't walk or who can't hear and he, and he, and he, and he gives them restoration. And he speaks compassionate words to people who are on the outside of life. Jesus says, the Shalom Project is here. And Jesus says, I'm going to go do some and make some shalom and make some peace and make some wholeness. And then you know what he actually does. He has these guys called disciples and apostles. You know what he does? He says, you go out and make some shalom now. You take this Isaiah 61 thing you take the promise that God gave you from the beginning of the story and he says, go out and make some of that for people. One day, all that exile and pain will be over and Jesus says, that day's now. So if you return to our original question, what difference does Advent make? What difference does it make? Well, it makes the difference of just this. Jesus' birth means that peace and shalom has come back to the earth. And it's established. And just like his disciples, now it's our turn. Now it's our turn. Jesus is not content just to sit in church and say, these scriptures are now fulfilled and you're hearing, now let's go grab some barbecue and just hang out. Jesus says, the scriptures have been fulfilled. Now let's go make some shalom. And he does that. And then he sends his disciples out to do it as well. And now it's our turn. 2,000 years later. And so what does this mean? What am I talking about? This was the idea that months ago uh, God sort of laid on my heart. To say, like, what if we took Advent and, and said, we're going to actually go live out the words of Jesus from Luke 4. And so I started to look at the scriptures that he, that he used in Isaiah. And boy, it seemed to me like there was just like four or five groups of people that Jesus said, look, I'm here and these are some people that I'd like to help, poor people. People who have some kind of challenge in their physical ability. Prisoners, oppressed people. And I said, man, that looks like some definite populations, some demographics. And so I said, what could we do? What would happen if element three just said, we're gonna help one of those populations every single week. And so that's what we're gonna do. And the first people that Jesus identifies uh, is the poor, under-resourced people. Now, you probably know this if you hang around E3. We already do a lot of this. We do it globally. We do it globally in places like Uganda and Haiti, development work, we'll work with orphans, work with the least of these in Panahashel, Guatemala. And we have trips coming up in 2018, information meetings coming soon. If God, man, if you want to go help somebody globally, get ready because you will be able to 
in the first half of 2018 into July. We do it locally by helping people long-term in Frenchtown. And we also have a food pantry, second and fourth Saturdays. Every month we feed over 30 families every second and fourth Saturday. They need volunteers. We do that already. And today I'm going to introduce a new thing that we're going to do. I was praying about this and, and thinking about it, like how can we do something for the poor? And, and I've always been real hung up on like, what, like, what if we drew a, a, some kind of radius around this church building? You know, we live all over the place. Some of us don't even live in Tallahassee. We come from Thomasville and Georgia or Crawfordville or Woodville. But what if we said, what's right around the church? And I had a buddy of mine in the community. He came up to me. He said, Eric, you know, there's a lot of under-resourced schools within three miles of E3. I said, that's very interesting. Tell me more. And so I started making some phone calls and exploring. And today I want to I tell you and I want to announce that we're establishing a long-term partnership with W.T. Moore Elementary School. Um, they're just right here on Dempsey Mayo, um, and they've got needs, you know. So we met with the administration. We said, how can we help you? And I told you, I said, I said look, we're adopting you, your family now. So we're going to do long-term things for you, but what can we do right now? And I kind of told her what, what we had, what my vision was. And, uh, and we're going to start off this series and start off this today by being generous with this school. And what they did is I said, what do your teachers need? Because I grew up in an era, maybe I'm just naive, where my teachers, as far as I knew, did not have to go and buy school supplies that I could then use and, and ruin. Yeah, not today. <laughs> And so maybe I'm naive, but I just said, man, I, I could just feel like we should just tell us what, your, what supplies your teachers need and can we, can we fill those needs? And so she gave us a list. And so this little Christmas or this big Christmas tree over here that's kind of oddly decorated, when we came in this morning, it was filled with 275 tags of school supplies. Now, that seems like a lot, but, but some of those tags just said, like, this tag represents a box of crayons. This tag represents one ream of paper. And so what we're going to do is we're going to help this school by going over there and just saying, I'm going to help. I'm going to do the words that Jesus, I'm going to create shalom by helping people. I'm going to take a tag and, oh, my gosh, this teacher needs a ream of paper. I can buy a ream of paper. And some of you guys might be at a place resource-wise you can buy one thing, and that's your sacrifice. Some of you guys can buy 20 tags worth of things. And I mean, I'm, I'm proud to tell you, uh, um, the 9 a.m. gathering stripped the tree almost bare. But there's still some left. Um, and then we also just printed up lists. We're going to live out Luke 4. Every week, different population, different activity. And so come in this season prepared to give. Prepared to give. Prepared to create shalom. Because it's been established in Jesus' birth. As the band plays... This is what we're, I'd ask you to do. Uh, maybe you just want to stand there and sing. That's fine. But maybe your act of worship is not just singing. Maybe it's walking over to the tree and just saying, man, I want to get a tag. Or, or just getting a list from some folks that will be over there to say, what's on this list that I can provide for this school? If you don't do it now, you can just do it as your way, on your way out. Um, anytime between now 
and Friday, bring them back. Um, you can bring them back tonight. You can bring them to the office during the week. Have somebody asked me, can I just buy stuff on Amazon and have it shipped to the church? Sure. And then this is really cool. The principal said, would it be okay if we came? They said, and she said, would it be okay if I invited my teachers to come to your church? And we could present, and, and you could present those things to us. I said, I, I, sure, well, let's do that. So next Sunday, we're gonna get to meet our new family and present them with all of these gifts. So let's stand up together. Let's stand up together and let's start by thanking God. And then let's live out Jesus' call to preach good news to this world.